You're listening to the podcast of Always Forward, the church planting initiative of the Anglican Church in North America, helping plant gospel-centered, sacramental, missional churches. For more information and resources, please visit always-forward.com. Hey, church planters, Ken and Dan back with you again today with another episode of the Always Forward podcast. Very excited today because we have with us uh, one of my longtime friends who's also been a longtime friend of Always Forward. In fact, was a part of Always Forward before Always Forward was Always Forward uh, when we were gathering together to just pray about what is this church planting movement initiative that we're trying to create? What is it? How do we name it? What do we do? And has been on the podcast a few different times. I think this is your third time with us. So Incredible. Exciting. <laughs> So Aaron Damiani, friends, Uh, Aaron Damiani is with us. Aaron is the planter of Emmanuel Church in the Chicagoland area. He is author of two books as well. The Good of Giving Up came up a couple of years ago and discussed specifically the practice surrounding Lent. And then his latest book is Earth Filled with Heaven, which came out last year through Moody Press. And the, the subtitle is Finding Life in Liturgy, Sacraments, and Other Ancient Practices of the Church. So welcome, Aaron. So good to have you back with us, man. It's great to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. You know what one of my favorite stories about you is? What's that? Is when you were listening to the Always Forward podcast on your headphones <laughs> and while, you, while you were riding your bike, and then you hit a pothole and flew over the handlebars and I had did. to go to the hospital. Um, I did. And so we like to think that Sean McCain and I had, had some hand in, in accidentally wounding you, which we've never never really gotten over. It's the wound of grace. It's like Jacob limping. <laughs> I, it's true. I was listening to an Always Forward podcast that actually helped me trace like what actually happened because I lost consciousness. I don't remember the actual accident. I just remember listening to you and Sean talk on the podcast and hitting a patch of road, which is kind of rough. And I was like, oh, I think I never came out of that rough patch. Uh, I came out of it face right. first. right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we were with you in that. I pray that we we were more of a companion rather than a cause. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have asked Aaron to join us for a specific reason today, based on his passion and knowing his heart and the books that he's written and the work that he's done. I want to talk some, as we are in and around the Lenten season here as well, about spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, and, and specifically how spiritual discipline, spiritual practice, the rhythm of life affect our work of mission and church planting as well. So let me just start at the beginning. How would you define, Aaron, when we say spiritual discipline or spiritual practice, what is that? What's a spiritual discipline or spiritual practice? You know, it's something that we do in real time with our bodies that shape our souls, shape our ministry, shape our life. It could be as simple as you know, holding hands with people in our small group or, you know, praying the Lord's prayer with them. It could be silence for 10 minutes in the morning. It could be smudging or getting smudged with ashes on Ash Wednesday. All these things, you know, have formative power to shape us. And hopefully it is shaping us according to, it's opening ourselves up to uh, to grace, to the, to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the power of God in our weakness. There's different sides of people's caution when we start Mm. talking about these things, right? Because sometimes 
the contemplative side of Christianity can move us into really wacky places theologically, right? And yes. It's based on sentiment or just emotion or just experience not rooted in the scripture. So our like, highly reformed friends have real issues with the contemplative side of things or the spiritual formation side of things. I know you to be a Bible guy and an authority of scripture guy. How do you balance that of saying, of people's concerns of, oh, can just anything be spiritual then? And how do we not just trace that experience into some wacky theological place? Yeah, exactly. Where it's just basically, you know, because experience is involved, it becomes experimental and therefore you lose your theological and biblical rooting and all of that. That's really, that's a good caution. I'd say, you know, don't, don't let go of that caution, hold it in tension with the caution that if we actually are only in our heads, and we just have ideas about God that we run the risk of not knowing him. You know, Jesus says there's a warning that he gives at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about not just the practices, but the heart behind them. Right. He ends the Sermon on the Mount by saying, like, there's going to be tons of people who did big things in my name. And they're going to come rushing up to me being like, Lord, Lord, like we could contextualize it. Didn't we plant an amazing network of churches in, mm. in our region? And he's like, I don't even know who you are. Yeah. So we need to know our Lord. And just like with any relationship that involves time, conversation, practices, and being with that person. And so I want to know Jesus. I want people in our churches to know Jesus and not just know ideas about him, but to actually have spent some some real quality time with him too. Yeah, because perhaps the ditch on the other side of the road is if we simply contain God in points of doctrine, and then he becomes conceptual in the same way that it can get off the rails from a contemplative side of things. We can get off the rails from a theological side of things and saying that he's more something that we've dissected rather than a person that we we know. There's some combination of the two that mm-hmm. come together to give us a healthy spirituality that combines body and soul in our relationship with who God is as well. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, I so one of my fundamental values and beliefs is that sound theology and, you know, wholeness of soul are of the same cloth hmm. and that piety and what's true about God go together. You know, we, we don't have to ditch sound theology. We don't have to ditch the, the creeds, the confessions of the faith. Uh, we don't need to ditch our Bible to have a rich, soul-shaping, healthy, loving. I mean, we're growing in love of God, a neighbor, and it's one of the most important callings of our life. That's going to involve our head. That's going to involve our heart. That's going to involve our habits. Mm-hmm. And so these things come together. I think the Holy Spirit is good at drawing all these things together. And of course, we're not in this alone. We're with this with the whole church, which is why I'm Anglican. And one of the reasons that Anglican spirituality is so life-giving for church planting is because it's not a solitary project. And it's something that we can share, even though there's, you know, there's certainly times alone, but ultimately this is the prayer life of the church. Mm-hmm. I have written and have gone on record here in this podcast quite a bit as well, saying that I think that church planting is sacramental at its core in the sense of the church is a a new local plant that is a gathering of physical people is an outward invisible sign of an invisible move of God in that area. I mean, and that's, that makes it not a sacrament, but sacramental in its nature. And it's a, it's in through your church plant when you are 
you are building that outpost of the, the kingdom, you're preaching the gospel, it becomes a means of grace and, and an assurance that that grace has been received because you're, you're in that community of faith that wasn't there before and is now. And so there's a sacramental aspect of things. Having a sacramental understanding of church planting in that way, how do we engage in the kind of practices that you're talking about that help shape and form us? How do we do that while we're planting? And I'll just stack these questions. How and why Why is it important? Why should we? Well, I just want to name the fact that when you're planting a church, you feel a lot of pressure to make something happen. The clock is ticking. The, the bank account is dripping resources. Mm. And also people are kind of watching, like, what's happening? There's a lot of pressure to make something happen. There's a t- tremendous temptation to, because they take time, to ditch any kind of spiritual, any kind of prayer life, any kind of spiritual formation. And so church planting can really cannibalize spiritual practices. And so the reason why it's so important to be with God enough to sustain our life of doing things for God and with him is because it really actually makes it sustainable. So when we're taking time to, uh, to be in God's word, to have solitude and also to gather for daily office, anyone who's, who's with us to have times that where we are gathering, praying, morning prayer, evening prayer, is because this is a tremendous way to shape the long-term vital spiritual health of the church. And, and really, you know, if we're able to, as church planters, be in that spot where, okay, yes, there is pressure and there's definitely you know, a sense that we want to grow this thing. We want to make it, we want to make it bigger. We want to see this young, fragile, fledgling, small group become a resourced local church that can go the distance. If we can just hold that desire and hold that temptation with the, you know, the tremendous opportunity we have to shape a culture from the very beginning, to shape it sacramentally, to shape it so that we really are operating with an understanding that we walk by faith and not by sight, that we walk by the power of God's spirit and the power of God working invisibly, and we will trust him with the visible results. What's going to happen is that everyone's going to feel it. If you're a church planter and you are producing fruit through techniques, if you're kind of generating fruit through techniques, it's going to come out in your culture. People are going to feel it. On the other hand, if you're abiding with Jesus and you really are waiting on him and you really are depending on him for the fruit and the formation, that's also going to be felt. I, I remember hearing about tomato farms in Florida um, a few years ago that there was a way in which the agricultural industry had figured out how to mass produce really beautifully looking tomatoes. And they would use chemicals and they would use you know, they would cross pollinate the seeds and essentially it would make it so that like it's, you know, January in Portland, Maine, and you could get a beautiful looking tomato in the grocery store. But if you tasted it, like it doesn't taste like anything. It tastes like a machine made it. Yeah. And so many of our church plants can become like that. Mm. And I'd rather have more of the heirloom tomato, which is like grown in the backyard. It doesn't look as pretty. It takes a little bit longer to grow but it tastes delicious, you know, and over time, that's really where the nourishment is. So the temptation's strong 
and it takes a lot to resist that temptation. The fruit is worth it, and the richness of the fruit is worth it for us to sustain spiritual practices, not just personally, but also in, in our church plant. You kind of gave two spheres for this. One is the spiritual practices of the planter, and then mm-hmm. one is how those spiritual practices are worked out, taught, used as part of the methodology for planting within the people of the church as well. So let's take the first one first. You're speaking to someone who is thinking about the process of planting, maybe going to go out and plant. How would you shape, form, coach them in their own spiritual life for the preparation and work of church planting? In their soul? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, what I would encourage them to do is, hey, take a day away in nature uh, and and find a way to be to be alone with the Lord and just listen to him about it. Share with him what's on your heart and mind. Share with him your fears, your hopes, you know, and listen to him. Just say, Lord, you know, basically my whole life and my whole vision for church planting is at your disposal. You can say or ask anything you want of me and just listen to him and have the word of God open for this as well. Ask him to to speak through the scriptures. And then at the end of that, find a an older planter or someone, a pastor, someone that you will, you know, that you respect that you can share that with and just say, hey, here's the best I know what I heard from him. And um, ask them to pray for you. I mean, these these experiences that we have just waiting on God, just waiting on God in the practical reality of take an hour, take a day. Take, take three hours and wait on God as it relates to your church plant and as it relates to your fears and, and everything else. That'd be like one very simple, doable, but also powerful way to, to prepare your heart and soul. Okay, so the planter has, or the potential planter has then taken time away, feels like they've heard from the Lord. That's been confirmed then by the church through assessment. They've gone through training. They've done all those things. And so now they're out and they are in the field planting. And Mm -hmm. we're talking to them about sustaining their soul through Mm. the process of planting. Yes. What would your advice be to them then? I would say Sabbath. Uh, Mm. You've got to have a day a week where you are not on. And that includes you've got to have some part of your Sabbath where the, the rigors of parenting, if you've got little kids, you've got to have a little bit of space there as well. So you and your spouse have got to have some kind of way of figuring out Sabbath. I'd say that's, that's I'm not going to rank them. I'm just going to say that's very important right. to have Sabbath. The other thing I would say is, you know, just some time of silence in the word, time of intercession. And I, I commend to you the daily office as a way to stay sane not as a way to, not as an extra burden or a rule, but think of it as just something to keep your rhythm on, to keep your heartbeat aligned with the Lord. It's just a practical way of entering the easy yoke of Jesus. Uh, morning prayer, use the family version of it if you want to. Yeah. It's, it's just shorter. Morning prayer, evening prayer is a great thing for your soul, for your family. And I was actually, I had a great conversation with a friend, Michael Flowers, who planted St. Aidan's in Kansas City about a morning prayer ministry that really formed the spiritual heart, like a life of prayer outside of Sunday gatherings. It's become one of their most important ways of growing their church, both in depth as well as in breadth. Mm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I always add to that list as well is um, I think it's really important to have something 
physical. Um, yes. It, it maybe as part of your Sabbath or so something tangible, whether that's, whether that's you're a runner and you need to run and experience the wind blowing through your hair or what, you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, depending on how fast you run, but, uh, or I like to do woodworking, you know, something yeah. that, um, that you can cut and glue and tangible yeah. and, or gardening, or there's just some kind of aspect of, because so much of church planning work is relational and people and theological and yes. And although social, if it can feel disembodied in some ways as well, mm-hmm. um, to have something that is just concrete and tangible, has 10 steps to it, you complete them and it's done and you can celebrate that or you can run a certain distance or whatever else. Just having that, I think, helps to, is a spiritual practice that helps to train our bodies and our and feed our souls as well. I totally agree. I t- I've got, I mean, the th- the things that I have, the, the physical aspects of life, I feel like I have more appreciation for now than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So the pre-planter has become a planter, is caring for their own soul as well now, hopefully, um, because of the great advice you've given them. Uh, and so now they're planting this church. How, as you're gathering people, as you are growing your church plant, what role do spiritual practices and rhythms uh have in in the work of of mission with others so one thing that we've got to balance as church planters is you know we're, we're inviting people into some what could be feel like strange and uh especially if they have no christian background strange practices uh but we're also trying to connect with them so it's a little bit sort of one thing i like to think of it is the like a meal if you're having someone over for a meal you're showing hospitality and you're, you know, you're inviting them in, you're finding what their interests are as well. And part of, but part of your hospitality is being yourself and offering what you have. So I went over to, to actually a church planter's house not long ago, and he and his wife served this like uh, Italian Mexican fusion dish. It was delicious. It was so good. It was like their specialty to fuse like Italian and Mexican f- fare. Interesting. And it was it like was, a Mexican pizza. No, it was uh, a Mexican version of lasagna. Wow. So it was kind of spicy. It was really flavorful. and But it also had those Italian themes as well. They served like a spicy tiramisu. Incredible. Wow. Yeah, I still remember it. So uh, it was really distinct. I'd never had that before. Yeah. You could say it was strange, but it was delicious, you know. <laughs> and also they did a good job you know, attending to our needs. Can I refill your wine glass? Can I, how about some apps? You know, how about some, you know, they were very engaging in conversation, sharing their story. That's what hospitality is. So, you know, as church planters, we're like the hosts. And so we're serving our specialty, right? We're, we're serving uh, liturgical prayer. We're, we're serving word and sacrament. We're serving a rich sacramental community. And we're doing it in a way though, that is attending to the guests that we have and some some people have some baggage and some issues and questions and we've got to be anticipating those and inviting rather than forcing one yeah. one yeah go ahead how um so in church planning sometimes we fall into the rut to uh, and all of us have done it um if we've planted a church into just trying to find people to fill up a service you know i mean that, yeah. that, that sort of becomes a goal and we have to constantly remind ourselves that we're making disciples we're trying to form people and yes. how do the how does a planter say um 
the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices are the method that we need to approach with this. How does that work itself out practically? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think one key shift is the shift from the people sitting in rows to people gathered in a circle. Mm. So the big gathering is is important. You know, the word and sacrament, kind of the when everyone comes, the Sunday service, the Saturday night service, um, but then or Sunday night service, whenever it might be. But then, okay, what are uh, ways that we can gather people who are ready to grow with us into the likeness of Jesus? Can we gather in small groups, in circles? I remember early on in church planting, I just started a men's group and it was just like, hey, men, let's gather, let's do Lectio Divina together. And would just get passages from the Gospels uh, that we would spend time meditating on and praying through. And people have a chance to share what's going on in their life, we'd, we'd pray for them. And, you know, it was real simple. I remember distinctly sitting next to all the guys and just being in silent prayer with them around a around a passage from one of the gospels and just hearing everybody breathe. <laughs> it was, it, it was a bit of a, it's kind of a boring, you know, experience. And, and yet we were all opening ourselves up to grace and that group really shaped our church. I mean, it really shaped the guy. A lot of the guys went on to be leaders in our church and leaders in their, in their communities. And it's, it's groups like that. I think that form a bit of a, a nucleus of, of prayer formation, scripture study. Of course, you know, one of the things that we we've got to do as a church planter is to is to get people in groups, huddles, city groups, small groups, life groups, where this can happen. But those life group leaders, those city, those small group leaders have got to be also formed in in these practices as well. Evening prayer, comp line, um, Lectio Divina, inductive Bible study, uh, intercessory prayer so that they can invite others into it as well. And that's just going to take some time. I think what you just said is so important, and this is why it's easy as church planters to neglect the spiritual practices as part of our methodology for planting. It's because it takes time. It's it's slower. Mm -hmm. Doing what we're talking about here is slower than, um, than trying to gather a crowd through a very um, upfront flashy sort of, I hate to say attractional model. Cause I, I don't like the dichotomy of attractional or not. everything's attractional in a certain way. Um, right. but, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Like it's, it's, it's a different methodology than sort of how do we, how do we go large and shallow, um, mm. and then try to go deeper, but rather, uh, go deep right from the start and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then be deeper and wider, uh, as, yes. we, as we grow. Yes. It's slower. It's slower. It's totally slower. It's the go slow to go fast model. So here's where it gets really practical for church planting, right? If you're church planting, you should, I would say, have time in between starting the work and launching the church service. Mm -hmm. Right. And in, in that window of time, you're going to feel exposed. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel like all you have all the needs, but none of the resources. That is a key moment to invite anyone who is part of your thing to fast and pray with you mm. for the Lord to provide and to prepare you for the work he's got for you. So I remember, I mean, some of the best times of prayer I had were in between like saying yes to planting a church in the city of Chicago and launching the Sunday service, uh, feasting with, that's a spiritual discipline, as you could say, feasting with, praying with, fasting with the launch team members 
for the church and for the people of your city, praying for new converts, praying for a worship space, fasting and praying for your mission, you know, and, and for the presence of God. And so um, think of it like sailing. When you're sailing, if you don't have any wind, you're not going to go anywhere. And sometimes it's blowing maybe in the wrong direction, but at least you've got some wind to work with. When you're church planting, you think of that the needs and the uncertainty of your situation as the wind. It's going to give you something to work with. It's going to give you something to fast and pray for. Mm-hmm. And then you all experience God's provision together. Well, that's going to shape. Okay, now all of a sudden you have a community of people who has tangibly experienced God as provider. And you go into your church plant with increased faith. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that the challenges of church planting can be fodder for spiritual practices and spiritual growth. You talked about at the at the very beginning of this conversation about the pressure that we feel as soon as you start planting with all of the with all of the different stressors of bank accounts and time. And uh, there's just that giant clock that's ticking. And there's a lot of different voices as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have strong opinions about how to plant churches who have never really they do never never really looked into it a whole lot and, and um so, so pursuing the work of church planting through the formation of souls um yeah uh is not going to make sense to a lot of your aggressive business people even right um and, right uh, and who in in the 99.9 percent of the people are thinking our goal is full Sunday morning service. Um, and right. they're not thinking depth much beyond that. And so, mm-hmm. so this, this intentional practice of going, we're going to pursue this in a different way is formational in itself, right. Of going, it is. do you see all of the other things that have formed us in such a way for us to be in such a hurry and so aggressive right. towards, uh, towards multiplication that we're not really concerned how we get there or what we're multiplying. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but right. uh, stopping and going, we we actually want to we want to pursue something deeper and a new way of we we're, we're bringing people not just to a new church service but to a new mm-hmm. way of being in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it's harder to say. Is we say church planting, we don't say we're planting new ways of beings in Jesus, right? That's that's harder to say. Um, but, <laughs> right. But there's pressure from all sides of mm-hmm. needing that practical results faster, and it's harder to engage in it this way. I tell you what, I heard a lot of those voices and there's just so many people who have opinions. And so, you know, you're going to get a lot of bad advice. You're going to get a lot of good advice. And part of your job is to sort through it prayerfully and, and without reacting to it. Um, so um, I think that actually my, you know, encouragement to someone who's church planting and getting, let's say you're getting corporate business advice to, uh, to build something fast well, yeah, it's good to discern that that's, you know, what's, what is, I'll use the classic terms of consolation and desolation. The consolation is that sense that we get where we're opening up to God's life, that there's the Holy Spirit is in this, you know, and, and there, and there's movement here. And desolation is like when we're feeling ourselves getting constricted and like anxious and we have to survive and God's life and God's freedom and God's spirit is not as much, you know, the gospel is not uh, accessible to us in that moment. It is accessible to us, but we're not connected to it. We're connected to the sense of pressure. And so I would just say, yeah, is this counsel giving you consolation, giving you desolation? It's okay. They're giving you this counsel. You don't have to take it. You can listen to it, but, um, it's okay for you to be distinct. 
And also it's an opportunity, isn't it? To let people down because you're going to be doing that the rest of your ministry is you're going to be graciously listening to people, but you're also not going to be working to make them happy or to make them proud of you, which is sometimes a temptation in church planting is to get the people who whose voices seem to matter in other places yeah. to give approval to us in the church space. And that can get us into trouble. Yeah, absolutely. The, this brings us back to how do you do what you're saying? How do you differentiate? How do you, um, mm -hmm. how do you not serve um, the voices of others, but stay, but remain connected with them the way that you do that? It has to be through the participating with God in spiritual disciplines and practices. I mean, it just, it it's brings true. it back to that, that, that right. individual, our leadership comes from a place of being with the Lord and submission to the Lord first. Um, yes. And before we, before we have authority or influence anywhere else, it, it's all kind of cyclical. That's exactly right. It's, it, I mean, it takes time and energy to do this. So let's say there's a church planter who is, getting some getting some counsel they're they're two months in and there's some buzz they've getting a little bit of buzz and because they're getting a little bit of buzz someone has come into their community who seems impressive and who who's got some ideas uh, it's got some vision bringing some pressure let's say they're you know there's someone who's uh, uh they own a local business let's just say i'm making this up out okay. of scratch sure yeah. And um, they kind of think they know how to run a church. They've never run a church, but they kind of think they know how to run a church. They have significant resources and they're putting pressure to launch sooner than the planter was planning on. Right. Let's say that planter, you know, has respect for this person and is feeling the financial pressure and seeing like they could get a shortcut to financial sustainability if only they could keep this person happy and in their group. So right. they take a Sabbath and they take some time to, yeah. to sort this out. And they realize in the course of all of this, you know, the, the, maybe an hour of silence and solitude that they, they realize they're feeling anxious. They realize they're feeling pressure and that they're tempted to, to do that. Um, and they offer that up to the Lord. And the next time they have that conversation with that person, they've got a little bit more strength to bring a distinct vision that is not cowed by money. Mm, yeah. Knowing the voice of the shepherd in the midst of a lot of other voices uh, means you have to spend a lot of time with the shepherd. You do. His voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Because you're going to bring your own voice to the to the party as well. And Satan's yeah, got right. his, uh, then he wants He's to chip in He's got his there. voice. That's yeah, right. It, which one do you listen to and which one do you not? And then how do you listen to some and not others without being accused of not listening to counsel? Um, right. And, right. Yeah, and it all comes back to this idea of are we are we properly spending time with the Lord and helping other people learn how to be able to do that yeah. as well. Yes. Um, what would you say to, how do you help church planters um, teach the concept of spiritual discipline, spiritual practices for folks who may come into their, to their church plants who either are unbelievers. And so this is brand new or oftentimes in Anglicanism too, we, we get folks who have kind of outgrown their tradition. They're looking for, yeah. they've been in the mega church for a long time and are looking for something with roots and depth, or they come out of the Presbyterian denomination where it's like, gosh, I, I feel like I know so much doctrine, but I'm looking for something a little more transcendent as well. Mm -hmm. And so, but the spiritual discipline, spiritual practices are new to them. Mm -hmm. how, what's your counsel for how to start to introduce this way of being and thinking um, to a church planter? 
I really like the way Dallas Willard frames it up because he starts with vision. He doesn't start with the thing that you're going to do. He's, he, he starts with why. You know, Simon Sinek has that, right. uh, that book and, and TED Talk, Start With Why. I think it's really important to start with why. Why are we doing this? Why do we fast? Why do we pray? Why do we do liturgy? Why? Um, what's the vision behind it? And you begin to talk more about Jesus. And, and it's, it's a gospel opportunity that, hey, we're being shaped to love the kingdom. And there's some glory that the Lord wants to put into our tangible life. Now, this life matters because Jesus created it and all of that. Start with vision and then make space for people to wrestle with the part of them that wants that vision and the part of them that doesn't like that vision as well. Just name it. Name the objections. Name makes give people a chance to push back a little bit and talk about the you know how it makes them feel like they're back in a legalistic environment or whatever it might be. That's the the intention part of Dallas Willard's model, and then from there move into the well. It's how how do we do this together and and make it sustainable and simple. Start with one practice. Um, that uh, that you can introduce or 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 give them a simple way to combine. Let's say they're introducing Lent. Well, how do we how do we bring together prayer, fasting, and financial generosity, or otherwise known as almsgiving, together this Lent? How are we going to seek Jesus through these disciplines? So so starting with why I think really goes a long way, and then from there make give give people a chance to wrestle with it, and uh, and and just make an invitation not a pressure, but an invitation to experiment. Sometimes that word experiment can be helpful. Mm. Experiment with this, give it a try. And then let's talk about it. Let's process it along the way. What you're seeing is so important and of kind of no pressure, uh, but it it honestly, when we are saying why, it just makes sense. I mean, that that even people who say, take the practice of Lent, you've written extensively on Lent. um, And in your new book, you talk about wrapping our calendars and our time around Christ. And so, so for even folks who would who would have an initial negative reaction towards the idea of spiritual practices or disciplines, if we said, do we want to wrap every minute of our lives uh, in our calendars uh, around Jesus? Like, do we? Most of the time, they'd be like, "Well, of course." You know, we want to give every minute to him. If they're strong Christians, that that's what they would feel. Yes, we want to. He's our King. He's our God. We want to give everything to Him. So, okay. Well, if that's what we want to do objectively, how do we how do we subjectively um, experience that? I mean, what does mm-hmm. what does that look like? And wouldn't it be great if there was a calendar that helped us? Wouldn't it be great if there's if there's practices that are markers that we can look at of oh this this isn't just something to say yeah we want to do that well let's actually do it um, and that's mm-hmm. going to take practice and that's not earning or striving or that's mm-hmm. participating um, and that's that's being a fleshly body that is receiving and participating with the, with the spirit. Um, That's right. And they go, well, that makes sense from that standpoint. Then it doesn't, it's not legalistic or earning or idolatrous or anything like that. No, it's it's just more like connecting the dots. Right. Like, yeah, you know, we, we're in agreement that we want to shape our whole life to Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? There's an opportunity to do that. And, And I'm doing it. My family's doing it. None of us are perfect, but it would be great to have you doing it too. If you want, if you, if you're ready for that. Right. Uh, I mean, honestly, there was a time I wasn't ready for for things like Lent or the church calendar, and I kind of needed to be sort of in a community that was doing it well with joy, with grace. And over time, I was like, okay, maybe I can try it. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, and I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and I hated Lent. 
Like I just hated mm-hmm. the, I hated the whole mm-hmm. concept of it, right? Like yeah. we're just gonna we're gonna sing lots of songs in minor keys, and we're gonna first Sunday of Lent we're gonna have this really long litany that we're just gonna like oh my gosh, you know, is yeah. this ever gonna end? Uh, and and I just and I, and I hated it. The the older that I got uh, have gotten, and the more that I recognize my own sinfulness and need for a savior, the more I love Lent. It's I mean yes. it's cathartic, it's freeing. Uh, whereas it mm-hmm. felt because I didn't grasp it when I was growing up, it felt constraining. Um, and like something false was being forced on me, but, yeah. but in experiencing that for decades, right. I've started to go, no, actually, gosh, it's so freeing to be able to admit that, I, that I'm a sinner. I know it. Um, and now I get yes. to freely admit it and I don't have to do it by myself. Like there's, there's, there's yes. rhythms and, and corporate experience of this so that Aaron and I can be together and both yes. recognize that we're sinners and we have a way to not just go, Oh, you do that too. That's great. But, but we can do it together um, yes. and have that corporate experience of being changed by the gospel and celebrating the gospel and, and Jesus who is, is of course the, the point of the gospel. And it's, I love the story, Dan, because it makes space for us to kind of like have some revulsion and some negative reactions to yeah. the, you know, the very specific and intentional forms of practicing the church calendar, songs in yeah. the minor key, a litany, you know, right. fasting, giving money away. The, I mean, these things rub against the flesh. And in some cases, yeah. it's because it's new. But in other cases, it's because we don't like it that way. Hmm. And and so putting putting things to death that, that don't belong leaves way for life, gives way for renewal, gives way for that longing, that catharsis of, you know, the resurrection power of Jesus, the easy yoke of Jesus, the freedom that comes from releasing, uh, you know, and break, you know, breaking those uh, holds that habits have on our on our sinful flesh and in our habits. So yeah. I hear the freedom and, and the hope and what you said, but but it does make space for the early reactions to be kind of negative. Right, that's sure. okay. Yeah. Well, I, when I was announcing to our church over the course of the last few weeks, um, Ash Wednesday, you know, I said, so if you're new to Lent, we're, we begin with Ash Wednesday, which is the practice of of the imposition of ashes, and 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 the long and short of it is that we're remembering our mortality. We're remembering yeah. that we're going to die. Um, yeah. and that, and so we need to sit in that so that we're not living under the illusion that we're immortal and that we do need a savior. And, and, and so on one hand, it's like, Oh, we're going to spend the day fasting, remembering that we're going to die. That sounds, <laughs> sounds awful. Like yeah. I just really want to yeah. skip that. Uh, uh, but, but when you actually experience it and learn about it and grow into it, it actually start to look forward to Ash Wednesday of going, Yeah, it, it's such a real day. Of yeah. Every other day, maybe Good Friday feels a little different, mm-hmm. but I mean, it feels like a little bit of an illusion when we're mm-hmm. not contemplating it in the same way that we do on Ash Wednesday. And what a what glorious news that we don't sit in that mortality but that we, but that we're raised imperishable. I mean, the, yes. the good news of the gospel then is so much more bright and lively when we yes. experience the spiritual practice of something like an Ash Wednesday. Yes, absolutely. It's yeah. It's a. It doesn't sound good at first, <laughs> um, but it's a very human thing, you know. And there's a. I, I you know so much of American life is on the surface, and these kinds of these kinds of rhythms get us to the deep parts that are just more satisfying uh-huh. and more human and and ultimately really does honor the fact that like we're not just physical creatures we're also spiritual creatures we're not just spiritual creatures we're also physical creatures these things come together 
in Jesus in a redemptive way. And we're on a we're on a pilgrimage somewhere very special. It doesn't end with whatever this world can offer. It does end with, you know, the hope of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the headaches on Ash Wednesday when we're fasting and remembering we're gonna die. I think the word in our culture right now, this word disruptor or disruption has been overused a little bit, particularly in a business context and such. But but I, I don't know of a different one to use that spiritual practices are intentional disruptions in uh, in our life that accidentally is hedonistic, is accidentally, well, sometimes accidentally, sometimes honestly intentional, uh, intentionally hedonistic, right? Or, or uh, with it, we're following different shepherds, different voices, as we were talking about yeah. before. And we don't even realize it because everybody's just kind of walking in the same direction. And, and spiritual practices and rhythms make us go, all right, let's stop and be intentional. Think about where we're going and what we're doing and listen and ask for the Lord's guidance. And, and are we headed in the right direction or are we not? And so these are, I, I just think it's essential for the work of church planting because um, we can easily, we can, we can create something and want to multiply something that is unhealthy. But when we're, if we're only focusing on multiplication, I mean, cancer multiplies, right? Aggressively. Right. Um, but right. We don't want cancer to multiply. We want healthy things to multiply. Yes. And in this intentionality of stopping, thinking, breathing, asking, praying, and, and then teaching other people how to be that around us as well. You just go from strength to strength because then you don't have to be the planter who is the vision carrier and the bearer mm-hmm. of all things. And mm-hmm. the more that you form other folks in this slower, intentional way of being, the more pressure actually comes off of you because there's more people listening in the same way as well. It's just, it's in its opposite of the way so many churches are planted. I just, I hope that, I hope this message can get across to folks. I I love it because there is such a important role, the church planter to, yeah, transfer some of the responsibility back where it belongs, which is in the, in the lapse of the people of God, training them for the work of ministry, but also just teaching them how to follow and listen to Jesus. Because our, you know, our congregations really is, they're the ones really on the front lines of the mission. It feels right. like we're on the front lines of mission, but the truth is that, you know, I guess the longer I'm pastoring our, our church, which, which began as a plant mm-hmm. about a decade ago, the more I'm equipping and resourcing uh, our people, our leaders, to be to be the frontline evangelists, the frontline leaders in the community, and that's going to require that they're taking Sabbath, that they're engaging the church calendar, that they're listening to the voice of the shepherd, and that their lives are getting intentionally disrupted uh, by by our Lord, who who can who can uh, at any point point his finger at something in our life and say that needs to change, and uh, boy is now's now's a good time for that conversation to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think the things that we've talked about today, um, they, they lead to a lot of other questions too, of just how are we, how are we preparing church planters? How are we coaching church planters? Yeah. How are we doing that too? Because uh, I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of church planters to develop a five-year plan. Um, and those things are important. Like strategy is important and vision is important. And those things All are important. important. Yes. Uh, are there metrics on listening? You know, I mean, what's what's your strategy for listening? How are you going to make that space? Um, Right. What does that look like? How do you know if you're doing well? Yes. Yes. 
all those are, yeah, it's really important, really important training and equipping is to, yeah, how do you listen to Jesus and how do you listen to the community and how do you, how do you learn from, from coaches, mentors, spiritual directors, even while you're, you're in leadership yourself and getting more, having more responsibility than you've ever had before. Yeah. That's all really good equipping and training. And I hope, I hope our church planters in our movement get that because um, it, it was vital, vital for me, for me in those early years, in those early days. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, um, Aaron, it's great to have you with us and, um, and to have these discussions and to, to deepen our thoughts on these things. Um, if there's a thought that you want to leave church planters with who are listening to this and, uh, and are thinking, okay, uh, how do I apply some of this? What would be your thought that you want them to leave on the front of their minds after they turn off this episode? I think the one thing that comes to mind is a, a prayer of abandonment, which has really helped me uh, release control and, and thereby release a lot of anxiety that I was carrying in my work as a planter. And it's it's designed after Jesus's prayer on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you can think about that moment where he's just kind of given everything to the Father. He's given everything in love to 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 the world, uh, you know, and so... And yet he's kind of, I mean, he's dying. And so the work is going to, for him is going to, one part of his work is going to end and he's going to sort of have to trust that the father and the spirit are going to take it from there. And um, so he says, father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So my one thing I would leave with church planters is that, um, you know, first of all, it's a prayer you can pray. You can breathe in father, you know, take a nice luxurious deep breath in and think about God, the father, and that he's, He's your, he's your father. He is, he's looking after you and loves you and you don't have to perform for him and he wants to help you. And then breathing out into your hands, I commit. And then you just fill in whatever it is that you're trying to control. I commit my launch team. I commit our finances, I commit the five-year vision. I commit the results, whatever it is that's weighing you down. You know, um, I, I commit my spiritual formation, you know, whatever it might be. And just stay in that place for a while. But then think of every every time that you take a Sabbath, every time you open the scriptures, every time you you uh, you you write out a prayer, you're kind of doing that. You're saying, Father, I'm just kind of sort of giving you my life. I'm giving you my work. I'm trusting you for the results. I'm trusting you for, not only for the results of our launch team numbers, but also I'm trusting you with the outcome of my own soul and the souls I'm caring for the outcome of our spiritual formation, you know? And so really spiritual formation and church planting is so much about releasing control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so those two things really come together in that prayer of abandonment, father, you've got this and I give it to you. Yeah. That's That'll free you up. I love it. Well, my friend, it's always good to have you uh, with us. And if you, uh, if you listeners out there want to hear more of Aaron's thoughts again, um, earth filled with heaven uh, and the good of giving up are his uh, are his two books. Also, great opportunity. Aaron is going to be a speaker at our Always Forward conference this upcoming September, the 27th through the 29th here uh, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so would love to have you come and, uh, and be a part of that conference with us as well. Registration is open online. Aaron is going to be one of our speakers. Uh, Hans Borsma will be another one of our speakers. And so it's going to, it's going to be a wonderful 
wonderful time. Would love to have you come as we explore church planting with a sacramental imagination. And so, uh, Aaron, always good to be with you, my friend. I'm very thankful that we had, we actually recorded a podcast together and there were no bike accidents. Um, in that's the, right. Uh, in I made sure to not be riding my bike while recording this. Yeah, that, that was, that's a good spiritual discipline. That's a good spiritual think, discipline. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, planters, we uh, we love you, and uh, and we are we are here to support you and care for you, and uh, want you to know that um, wherever you are in the work that you are doing, that you are seen, um, that you are loved, and uh, as we always say, that always forward, you are you are not alone. I will be back with you again soon with another episode exploring church planting from a gospel-centered, sacramental, missional standpoint. Thanks for listening to the Always Forward podcast. Visit us at www.always-forward.com for more resources, to submit your questions, or to interact with us. See you next time.